This is Plant-Based Briefing, our zoo's educational, by Emily Moran Barwick at bitesizevegan.org, and I'm Marian Erickson, host of this curated content plant-based podcast. And today's article is by Emily Moran Barwick at bitesizevegan.org. She believes in the power of an informed public, and she takes the time to do the research on the ever-growing mountains of information on the myriad of issues inherent in and surrounding veganism. And she provides citations for every single fact or study that she references. So now let's get to today's plant-based briefing. Are zoos educational? By Emily Moran Barwick at bitesizevegan.org slash zoos. What's not to love about the zoo when you're a kid? You get to see all kinds of animals, from polar bears to giraffes. You can stand eye-to-eye with a chimpanzee, watch exotic birds preen and perform. You can watch penguins waddle on land and fly underwater, and see lions, tigers, and bears. As a parent, there's a lot to love, too. Plenty of fun for the kids, and more importantly, education. They can learn about the natural habitat and behaviors of animals from all over the world, and the value of conservation. But are these really the lessons zoos are conveying? Or is there a stronger message being imparted? The ethics of zoos is a polarizing and complicated topic, even amongst vegans. The arguments usually brought forth by those in favor of zoos are fourfold, that they provide amusement, valuable education, vital research, and laudable conservation and rehabilitation. I'm going to approach this issue from several angles in separate videos. Today we're going to focus on the education zoos provide for our children. It's safe to say that most people have memories of visiting the zoo as a child. Personally, my first conscious memory of a zoo was in Jacksonville, Florida, on an oppressively hot and humid summer's day. At that time, the Jacksonville Zoo consisted of not much more than concrete slabs encased in bars, with lethargic, panting animals languishing in the Florida heat. I remember thinking that this was supposed to be fun, that the zoo was supposed to be a good place for the animals. I struggled to reconcile the story I'd been told with the reality before me. Of course, many zoos, including the one in Jacksonville, have vastly improved their enclosures. But how much have these surface beautifications impacted the animal's quality of life, or the message conveyed to visiting children? When polled by the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, the National Zoo Accreditation Organization in the United States, 94% of people believe that zoos teach their children about how to protect animals and the habitats they depend on. Dale Jameson, professor of environmental studies and philosophy at New York University, raises an important nuanced point. Quote, Of course, it is undeniable that some education occurs in some zoos, but this very fact raises other issues. What is it that we want people to learn from visiting zoos? Facts about the physiology and behavior of various animals? Attitudes towards the survival of endangered species? Compassion for the fate of all animals? To what degree does education require keeping wild animals in captivity? And therein lies the issue of zoo-based education. All of these educational goals can easily be met, and far more successfully, without caging living beings for profit. Let's look at some of the main educational draws touted by zoos, learning about animals' natural habitat, their natural behaviors, and the value of conservation and animal stewardship. Lesson number one, natural habitats. No matter how accurately zoos attempt to recreate habitats, they will never be natural. While some zoos attempt to grant their animals as much space as possible, they can never recreate the natural expanse of territory found in the wild. 
Zoo animals spend day after day, year after year, in the same enclosure. Birds can only fly so far. Giraffes can only walk so many paces. Elephants can only travel from one wall to another. And monkeys can only climb so high. Many species are used to traveling miles every day in nature. So, what are these clearly unnatural, human-imposed limitations really teaching kids about nature? That it can be recreated at will? That an enclosure that's a fraction of the size of an animal's natural territory can suffice as long as it looks real enough to humans? How does that exactly convey the importance of habitat preservation? Lesson number two: Animal behavior. This is perhaps the greatest failing of zoo education. There's nothing more unnatural than the behavior of wild animals in human-made enclosures. However, as many people have only seen wild animals in zoo environments, they may mistake stress behaviors for natural. Zoo animals can develop any number of neurotic behaviors from the stress of captivity. These are scientifically referred to as abnormal repetitive behavior, or ARB. In 1992, Bill Travers, co-founder of the Born Free Foundation, coined the term zookosis to describe these obsessive repetitive behaviors and described zoo animals behaving abnormally as zookotic. The following year, the Zoo Check Charitable Trust produced the zookotic report, taken over three years at over 100 zoos in Europe. Though the neurotic behaviors captured in the videos linked here are not confined to animals in European zoos, they include pacing and circling, tongue playing and bar biting, head bobbing, weaving and swaying, rocking, over grooming and self mutilation, vomiting and regurgitating, coprophilia and coprophagia, meaning the playing with and eating of excrement in species that do not naturally exhibit this behavior, apathy or non-reaction to stimuli. Abnormal mother-infant relationships, which can result in the injury and death of babies, prolonged infantile behavior, wherein animals do not mature properly, and abnormal aggressive behavior. See the video for examples. These are not natural animal behaviors because these animals are not in nature. These are psychologically stressed beings exhibiting neurotic and even psychotic behavior. At their best, zoos misinform children about animals' natural behaviors by conflating them with neuroses. At their worst, they teach children that keeping animals in conditions which result in such destructive behaviors is an acceptable form of entertainment, and even in the animal's best interest. Lesson number three: conservation and animal stewardship. One of the strongest defenses of zoos is their contributions to conservation, which I'll be doing an in-depth video on. In brief, conservation efforts, just like habitat and behavior education, do not have to involve captive animals on display. Conservation efforts are far more effectively handled by specialized wildlife breeding and rehabilitation programs, far away from the prying eyes of the public. A 2013 study found that zoos lack the infrastructure and resources to carry out successful conservation efforts, and that their approaches are too randomized. As far as what children learn from zoo conservation programs, most likely as much as they do, and any adults do, from all the neglected informational plaques displayed around zoos. Neglected by most, that is. I read every one. If we want to teach our children the value of caring for and preserving the lives of animals, zoos are not the ideal classrooms they purport to be. Especially considering they pull animals from their natural habitat and overbreed them, then deal with the resulting surplus in any number of disturbing ways, such as selling them for game hunting or killing them to feed to their other animals. Perhaps the most neglected flaws of portraying zoos as conveyors of the value of animal life is the fact that they serve dead animals at every cafe and refreshment stand. 
telling a child the value of protecting and preserving animals in one breath and serving them a carcass on a bun in the next is a bit of a mixed-up message, wouldn't you say? How Zoos Measure Up As educational destinations, zoos fail miserably on all three counts. In her book, Raising Kids Who Love Animals, child psychiatrist Dr. Sujatha Ramakrishna states that, quote, Though I hoped to find evidence to the contrary, I must conclude that zoos continue to be detrimental to animal welfare and that they do not teach children positive lessons about animals. Kids who watch leopards pacing in mindless patterns get a completely inaccurate picture of what large predators are all about. They also learn that making sentient beings suffer for human amusement is acceptable. We want to teach kids to show kindness towards animals, not stare at their misery while eating popcorn, unquote. Zoo Alternatives This doesn't mean kids have to miss out on engaging animal education. Children learn far more about an animal's natural habitat, behavior, and value by watching documentaries of their actual behaviors filmed in their actual habitat. Planet Earth, for example, is a stunning documentary series from the BBC, comprised of 11 episodes, each of which features a global overview of a different biome or habitat on Earth. A great way for kids to connect with animals in real life is by visiting animal sanctuaries, where rescued and rehabilitated animals are allowed to live in peaceful settings. I've included a link to lists of international animal sanctuaries below, along with further resources. Other zoo alternative activities include visiting local parks, hiking trails, and basically just going outside. We tend to undervalue the beauty and life in our own backyards. Kids can volunteer at local animal shelters or even babysit neighbors' pets to learn the importance of caring for and protecting animals. All of the lessons zoos are meant to teach our children are far more effectively taught elsewhere and without the cost to the animals themselves. You just listened to Our Zoos Educational by Emily Moran Barwick at bitesizevegan.org zoos. And I'm your host, Marian Erickson, and Emily has a great video that's targeted just for kids on this very topic as well, so I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes too. It's really great to share with any young people in your life, with teachers, elementary schools, etc. And some people think if zoos are non-profits, then they must be good for the animals, but that's not the case. Like Emily said in her post, true rehabilitation and conservation efforts do happen with nonprofits, but they happen away from the prying eyes of the public. Not in zoos. Zoos imprison many, many animals that are not threatened by extinction. And if you visit animal sanctuaries, whether wild animal sanctuaries or farmed animal sanctuaries, instead of zoos, you might wonder, isn't that just turning these sanctuaries into zoos? No, sanctuaries rescue animals. They would never buy, sell, breed, or exploit or profit from animals. They don't separate babies from their mothers to be hand-reared by humans. They don't use deprivation or punishment to control the animals. They don't force them into unwanted contact with strangers. And they provide animals with large natural habitats that allow for roaming and other types of normal behaviors. And they protect them from harassment. And beware, some horrific places try to pass themselves off as rescues or sanctuaries. There's one in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina called the Wakati Zoological Farm, and they are listed as a wildlife sanctuary on their Facebook page. It is absolutely horrific. I visited there to take photos and video for an animal rights organization working to get them shut down, and it was heartbreaking. These wild animals isolated and trapped in tiny concrete enclosures. 
These are not rescued animals. These animals are purchased and then imprisoned. And people take their children there thinking that it's a natural, healthy place to view rescued animals in a sanctuary. So that's why educating people about this is so important. So people know not to support these evil places exploiting others for profit. Please share this episode with anyone who might benefit and thanks for listening.